right, we're going to continue. We're going to continue our study this morning of the topic "Don't Give Up." And last night we were looking at what does it mean to believe, and we looked at how faith and belief are joined at the hip. So in order to believe, you have to have faith. Um, so we ended last night looking at how the works of Messiah cause us to believe, and we were going to start a new subtopic called Those Who Believe Will Reach the Goal, which is Everlasting Life. So turn to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 and then 10 through 13. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 says, Whoever believes that Yeshua is the Messiah is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. Now in verse 1 where it says, whoever believes. Notice it says whoever, anybody, whoever believes. That word believes is the Greek word pistuo, and we talked about that word last night, P-I-S-T-E-U-O, pistuo. And that is actually a present participle also. So you could look at that as whoever continues to believe. So your belief cannot be a once upon a time thing. It's whoever continues to believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, is born of God. And everyone who loves him, that word loves is also a present participle. So that belief and that love have to be continual. They have to be ongoing. Loves him who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. Verse 2 says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Doesn't that sound just like John 14, 15? If you love me, keep my commandments. But it also reminds me of Deuteronomy 10, which in my Bible is titled The Essence of the Law. In order to keep the commandments of God, what must come first? The love has to come first. And that's what ties into circumcision of the heart. That's when you love God. When you love God, you're going to naturally keep his commandments. Or that's what should flow from the love. Verse 3 says, for this is the love of God. So this is how we love God. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. How many times have you heard that the law, the Torah, was such a heavy yoke, hard to bear, nobody could do it, so Jesus had to come away and come and do away with it? Right here it says his commandments are not burdensome. They're not grievous. They're not something impossible that you cannot do. Verse 4 says, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. That word is pistis. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Yeshua is the Son of God? So if you want to overcome the world, and remember the book of Revelation talks about to the, to the one who overcomes. The one who overcomes. It says the one who overcomes is the one who believes it, that Yeshua is the Son of God. So one who has faith. That word overcomes in verse 5 is also a present participle. So you have to continue overcoming. So if you continue overcoming the world, you believe that Yeshua is the Son of God. In verse 5, that word believes is also a present participle. So he who believes that Yeshua is the Son of God is one who overcomes the world. Skip down to verse 10. and Oh, and that word believes in verse 5 is also the Greek word pistuo. Verse 10 
of 1 John 5, it says, He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given his Son. Do you want to be in the category of one who calls God a liar? God cannot lie, so if you call God a liar, you might want to check yourself. Uh, verse 10 says, He who believes that's in the Son of God, that word believes is a present participle. So every time that we come to a word that is a present participle, I'm going to point it out. Because a present participle means ongoing, continuing action. You have to continue doing it. So verse 10 says, He who believes, you have to continue believing in the Son of God, has the witness in himself. He who does not believe, that word believe is also a present participle. He who does not believe God has made, has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. So that word believe and believes in verse 10 is pistuo. Verse 11, and this is the testimony. So this is the testimony mentioned in verse 10, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. What, what a more simple statement can there be? If you have the Son of God, you have life. And are we talking about life just in this present mortal life? Or are we talking about life to come? What is the Hebrew word for life? Chaim. Is that singular or plural? It's plural because it's mentioning this life that we live presently, but also the life to come. So he who has the Son of God has life, and that ties right back to faith. In verse 12, the word has, he who has the Son of God, or has the Son, that is a present participle. So I know I keep saying, is it a once upon a time belief, or is it a continual ongoing action? He who has, he who continues to have the Son, has life. He who does not have, that word have is a present participle. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So think about Ezekiel 18. If a righteous man turns from his righteousness, will his righteousness be remembered? No. no. But what if that unrighteous man turns from his unrighteousness? Is he forgiven? Yes. He is forgiven. And that's essentially the same thing here. If you turn from not having the Son of God to having the Son of God, will you be forgiven? Yes. Absolutely, you'll be forgiven. Verse 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So that was actually added by the, um, by the translators, the phrase continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So in verse 13 where it says, These things I have written to you who believe. That word believe is pistuo, and it is a present participle. So continuous belief, that you may know that you have eternal life. So your continual belief is assurance that you have what? Eternal life. It is continual assurance. That's faith. Because what if you stop believing? And I'm not talking about the journey song. Like, don't stop believing. It's not, but what if you stop believing? You don't have life. You don't have life. I mean, so you have two choices. And, it's, and God makes it so simple. Believe in the Son of God. Keep His commandments. What do you have? 
you have life. What if you stop? You don't have life. It's so simple. It's such a simple message. All right, at the very end of verse 13, do you see the phrase, you may continue to believe? Now, initially, you would look at that and think, well, that's also a present participle. Not quite. In the Greek, this is what's known, this whole phrase, you may continue to believe. This is something known as a present subjunctive. A present subjunctive phrase or verb means the action may or may not occur depending on the circumstances. So in other words, you get to make the choice. So when will you continue to believe if you make the choice? What if you choose not to believe? Then you've made the choice. So that's exactly what this present subjunctive voice or phrase or verb means. The action may or may not occur depending on the circumstances. So if you continue to believe in the, the name of the Son of God, you have life according to the scriptures. If you don't, if you stop believing, then you don't have life. And that's the simplicity of this message that John is trying to get across here. And also something interesting about the subjunctive tense verb, it's hypothetical. It's hypothetical until the action has occurred. So John is saying, you may believe, you may not believe, but you get to make the choice. So it's only hypothetical in nature until you put legs on it. Then, it's, then it becomes real. So do you think John is just sitting here saying, well, I want you to continue thinking hypothetically about this, or is he thinking, no, put some legs on it and, and do it, believe. Sounds like Moses who said before us life and death. Right. And what did he tell him? Did he say, just sit there and think about it for a while? What, he said, choose life. Choose life, exactly. So the message throughout the scripture has always been, you have two choices, wait for one to fall in your lap, right? No, choose. Choose life. Choose you this day whom you will serve. That's what Joshua told the children of Israel. He says, as for me and my house, what? We will serve the Lord. All right, let's go to John chapter 1. It's always been a choice. Still looking at those who believe will reach the goal, which is everlasting life. So we looked at what the goal was in 1 John 5. Everlasting life, eternal life. And how do we receive that eternal life? Our continual belief. 1 John 1.12. Sorry, John 1.12. Sorry. Take the first off of that and just John. <laughs> Too many ones. John 1.12. It says, But as many as received him, talking about Messiah, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Now, I want you to pay attention to this because it gives us a parallel of who the children of God are. Look right after the phrase, the children of God. He gave the right to become the children of God to those who what? Believe, Believe in his name. 
That word believe is the Greek word pistuo, and it is a present participle. So if you want to become a child of God, what do you have to do? You have to continue believing on his name, on his character. What name? What did the book of Acts say? There's no other name under heaven given under which man must be saved except what name? Yeshua, Yeshua the Messiah. What does the name Yeshua mean? Salvation. 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 Literally within the name Yeshua, we have the word salvation. So who are the children of God? Those who believe in his name and continue to believe. Who were, verse 13 says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of who? But of God. But of God. Let's go to John 3. We're going to stay in John for a little bit. John 3. Still looking at who will, those who believe will reach the goal, which is everlasting life. We're going to read verses 14 through 18. John 3 is the Lord speaking to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is wondering, how can a man be born again when he's already born? And was the Lord talking about physical birth or spiritual birth? He was talking about a spiritual birth, talking about becoming born again. Verse 14 says, And Moses lifted up the servant, and as Moses lifted up the ser serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes, that word believes is pastuo, and it is a present participle, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So what kind of belief are we talking about here? It is a continual, ongoing belief. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes, that word is pastuo, present participle, continual ongoing action, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. John 3.15 and John 3.16 read almost identical. When God says something once, he means it, but what if he says it back to back? You think he's trying to pound the podium and trying to pound the point home? If you believe in him, you will have eternal life. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes, that is a present participle of pistuo, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe that is a present participle of pistuo, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So again, you have two choices. What if you believe and continue to believe? It says you are not condemned. But what if you stop believing? What if you don't believe? It says you're condemned already. So what does that say to the doctrine of once saved, always saved? I, we're kind of hauling it out one verse at a time, aren't we? So, is it possible for somebody who is believing to stop believing? I believe Scripture backs that up. I believe Scripture absolutely backs that up. John 5. John 5. 
John 5.24. Still looking at who those who believe will reach the goal. John 5.24. I'm going to mention an interesting little aside here in just a second. Verse 24 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. That word believes is pistuo, and it's a present participle. What are you noticing about the word believe? Almost every time that I've mentioned that word, what has it been? It's been ongoing action. Do you think the Lord is trying to tell us something? If you want to make it into eternal life, what must you do? Continue believing. You must not give up your faith. Verse, and then the rest of the verse says, and shall not come into judgment. Now, what kind of judgment do you think he's talking about? Because everybody stands before God in some form of judgment. What judgment? Condemnation judgment, right. The great white throne judgment in Revelation 20. Because if you come to that judgment, what's your ultimate fate? The lake of fire. But has passed from death into life. All right, at the beginning of verse 24, do you see the phrase most assuredly? This, was just, this is just an aside. This has really nothing to do with the lesson, but I just thought this was interesting. Because how many times have you heard that nobody spoke Hebrew, the Bible was not, or the New Testament was not written in Hebrew, Aramaic, 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 okay. Or Greek, Greek, Greek. All right, that phrase in John 5, 24, it says most assuredly in Greek is... Amen, amen. That's not Greek. You're right. It literally is amen, amen. Okay? So you've heard people at the end of prayer say amen and amen. Okay? So most assuredly, amen, amen means it's sealed in stone. This is really, really, really true. But what's really interesting about that word amen, amen, we've looked at all these different occurrences about Amon and how it, ha how it ties with faith. When the Lord says, Amen, Amen, does he, say, does he mean, eh, just take it with a grain of salt? No, no. this is really true. This is, this is established. This is really going to happen. But when you look at that phrase, Amen, Amen, on the um, Strong's Concordance and the, um, all of the different lexicons out there, it calls it, you're going to love this. A Hebrew transliterated word. It says, a word using the closest corresponding letters of the Greek language from Hebrew. Not Aramaic, Hebrew. It, and it also did not call it an Aramaic translated word. And it doesn't call it Greek. It doesn't call it Greek. So, when, he, when they translated most assuredly as amen, amen, there's no Greek equivalent, so they had to use Greek letters that corresponded to the Hebrew. So this is literally called a Hebrew transliterated word. Kind of like Alleluia. So if, sorry, Yeshua. So if anybody tries to say that the Bible was not written, or the New Testament is not written in Hebrew, or nobody spoke Hebrew, then what do you do with this phrase that is called a Hebrew transliterated word? Just food for thought. All right, 1 Timothy 1. 
Is it important that the New Testament was written in Hebrew? Is that is that an is that just a moot point, or is that really important? I, I believe it's important because what does it do to your understanding if you look at everything from a Greek mindset? Right. So all of these different things that we're looking at, I, like I said, I don't feel like they're moot points. Because if you look at the scripture from that point of view, from the Hebrew point of view, you get a deeper understanding because it ties you right back to the Old Testament. If you look at it from a Greek mindset, you look at it as, well, that's the Old Testament, that's the New Testament. You look at it as two separate disjointed books. All right, 1 Timothy 1. We're going to read verses 15 and 16. The key verse is 16. Verse 15 says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. So what's Paul saying about what he's about to say? It's really true. That Yeshua the Messiah came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. So what is Paul saying about himself? He said, if there was a sinner worse than me, I'd like to meet him, pretty much, is what he's saying. He said, I'm, the, I'm the, the chief of the sinners. Verse 16 says, However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Yeshua Messiah might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who were going to believe on him for what? For everlasting life. So going to believe, that word believe is pistuo, as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for, do you see the word for? For everlasting life? That's the Greek word ice. We looked at that word ice last night. And what does ice mean? Not what you put in your drink. For the purpose of. For the purpose of. So why did Paul, or what, what, what is Paul's life supposed to be a pattern for? For those who are seeking after everlasting life. And what was Paul's message all throughout his epistles? Was it, try if you want to, just, you don't have to work too hard. No, he said, finish the race. Over, 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 over again. He said, finish the race. Don't give up the faith. So Paul's life was a pattern to show how God saves sinners for the purpose of everlasting life. And how many times does, do we see in the scriptures that we're supposed to take things that we see from... That's all right. That's all right. But how many times throughout the scriptures do we see patterns or things we're supposed to learn from? I mean, that's what the whole scripture is for, for us to learn from people's mistakes and to not do them. Like I said last night, if, the, if, if Israel had done everything right, would we have a book this thick? No. <laughs> we wouldn't have a book this thick. It would be about this thick. All right. Hebrews 11.6. I found something really, really, really cool in Hebrews 11.6 that, that I've been wanting to share. 
And we've been going to, how many times over the last several weeks have we been going to Hebrews 11.6? We just keep, it's just like we keep going back to Hebrews 11.6. Because Hebrews 11.6 tells us what about faith. If we don't have faith, can we please God? It's impossible to please God. All right. Verse 6 says, of Hebrews 11, it says, But without faith, that word is pistis, it is impossible to please him. Underline that word please, because we're going to come back to it. For he who comes to God must believe, that word is pistuo, that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you look at the meaning of that phrase, diligently seek, it means to search carefully for or to crave. So it's something that needs to be your, your innermost desire. Now, in order to come to God, you must believe that He is. You must believe that He exists, but is that enough? Yeah. No. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him that look for them with the whole heart. Now, I ask you to underline that word, please. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. All right, in the Greek, that word please is eurasteo. I'll spell it. E-U-A-R-E-S-T-E-O. Eurasteo. And that's Greek word 2100. Now, I loved when I found what the Hebrew equivalent of this was. The Hebrew equivalent of Eurasteo is Hit Halek. H-I-T apostrophe H-A-L-E-K. Hit Halek. Which part? Hit Halek. H-I-T apostrophe H-A-L-E-K. Hit Halek. That's the Hebrew equivalent of Eurasteo. Heat Halak is the heat pael form of halak. Alright, halak means to walk. Okay? Heat halak means you choose to do something. You choose to walk. You make a conscious choice to walk. So if we take that definition and put it back in verse 6, it says, but without faith it is impossible to cause yourself to walk with him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, I want to go back to verse 5 because that same word, you are esteo, is in verse 5 when it's mentioned with a certain somebody that we're going to go look at here in just a moment. Verse 5, by faith who? Enoch. Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he what? What's it say? Please, please God. That word pleased is you are esteo. So if we take out pleased and put in caused himself to walk or chose to walk, it reads like this. But before he was taken, he had this testimony that he caused himself to walk with God. But without faith, it is impossible to cause yourself to walk with him. Now, let's go back to Genesis 5.24 and see how this all connects.
Genesis 5.24. Genesis 5.24. It says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. In verse 24 where it says, In Enoch walked. That word walked is heat halak. So in, in Hebrews 11.5, it was translated as pleased. But here it says he walked with God. Could you spell that again? Heat halak. H-I-T apostrophe H-A-L-E-K. Thank you. Uh -huh. So why do you think the translators would translate it as pleased instead of chose to walk? Well, why do you think? To mask the fact that his walk pleased God. He caused himself, he chose to walk with God because he wanted to. And to walk with God means to, to be keep obedient. To be obedient, mm -hmm. absolutely. And how did God reward Enoch for his obedience? He raptured him, he took him. And Enoch walked with God. That means he caused himself to walk with God. Now, we also see that same word, heat halak, in Genesis 6. So go down to Genesis 6. Well, another thing, Daniel, the word pleased means you have to work to make somebody happy, which translates into, well, I'm never going to be perfect enough. I'm not God. You know? And is a discouraging, that's a discouraging word. Yeah, but, but it's more encouraging to say he chose to walk with God. Yes. He made a conscious yes, choice, choice to yes. walk with God. Right. Yes, right. All right, go to Genesis 6 9. We see the same word. Heat halak. Who are we talking about now? Noah. Noah. What do you know about the world during the time of Noah? Was it a good, righteous, godly place? Wicked. Wicked. Kind of like ours. Verse 9 says, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, that means a righteous man, perfect in his generations, that means blameless, the word is tamim. And then it says, Noah walked with God. That word walked is heat halak. So when it says Noah walked with God, what did he do that other people of his generation did not do? Chose God. He chose to walk with God. And what was his reward? He didn't get drowned in the flood. <laughs> that was his, that he, was, he and his family were saved. So he chose to walk with God. So if we come back over to Hebrews 11, what can we learn about choosing to walk with God? What allows us to, to walk with God, to make our conscious choice to walk with God? Our faith. Because are you going to walk with somebody that you have no faith in? Absolutely not. But if you have faith in God, you're going to cause yourself to walk with Him. And is that going to please God? Absolutely, it will please God. It says, for He, is, he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, those who crave after Him. And what is the ultimate goal for those who walk with God? We'll just look at Enoch. Everlasting life. Everlasting life. All right. So what if you don't believe? That's the next subtopic I want us to look at. What if you don't believe? 
with a capital T, right? <laughs> with a capital T. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. So what happens if you don't believe? Thirteen. So this is the. Pa- I'm sorry, Luke eight thirteen. Talking about the parable of the sower. I want to look specifically at verse thirteen. Verse thirteen says, "But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy." And these have no root, who do what for a while? They believe for a while. And in time of temptation, fall away. The word believe is pistuo. That means they had faith for a while. But then what happened? The cares of the world came, and did their faith have any depth of root? No. It had none. And it says, and in time of temptation, fall away. That word fall away, we saw it last week in 1 Timothy 4. It's the word aphistame, aphistame, A-P-H-I-S-T-E-M-I, aphistame. And that's Greek word 868, and it means to become faithless. So in order to become faithless, what do you have to have in the beginning? You have to have faith. So, in order to become faithless, you have to have faith. So, if you look at it that way, it says those who had no root, believed for a while, had faith for a while, and in time of temptation, what did they lose? They lost their faith. So, what do you think is going to be the end of those who had no faith and stopped believing? Just look at the pattern of the children of Israel. We looked at it last night. They believed for a while. They didn't believe for a while. And what happened when they finally made the decision not to believe anymore? Judgment came. Judgment came. So just look at that same pattern of the children of Israel. 2 Thessalonians 2. Second Thessalonians 2. We're going to read verses 11 and 12. 2 Thessalonians 2 is talking all about the false Messiah. And you you and I know that the message of the false Messiah is going to be so radical, so unbelievably wicked, you might be thinking in your mind, how could anybody believe that? How can anyone believe such a wicked, awful message of lawlessness that this man is going to put forth? And what does verse 11 say? It says, and for this reason, God will send them what? Strong delusion that they they should believe the lie. So where does this delusion come from? It says it comes from God. 
but what does it come from ultimately? They've rejected God long enough that God said what? Have it. He gave them over to a reprobate mind. Verse 12 says that they, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in what? Unrighteousness. So an ongoing, continual lifestyle of unrighteousness, God says, okay, you have it. That word believe in verse 12 and verse 11 is pistuo. All right, I want to look at two words here that really just kind of stand out in verse 11. The word delusion, we've looked at in past studies. That word delusion is plane. You can spell it plain, P-L-A-N-E, plane. It's Greek word 4106, and in other places in the Scripture, it's translated as error. So how do people get persuaded to believe and so deluded to believe in these, in these lies? False teachers. Amen. False teachers. So that's what this error is. It comes from these false teachers. And God says, if that's what you want, here you go. Have it. The word strong, right before it, where it says God will send them a strong delusion. That word strong is the Greek word energia. Energia. It's spelled E-N-E-R-G-E-I-A. It looks like energia is what it looks like. This is where the word energy would, appears to come from. So it has the word energy in it. Okay, now, do you remember last night how we were talking about how certain words are translated so nice, so soft, so just fluffy? <laughs> this word strong doesn't just mean strong. It means superhuman strength, superhuman power, something that doesn't just come from a human, something beyond our strength. So it says God will send them strong delusions, something of super, just superhuman magnitude. So how strong of a of an illusion or a delusion is this for people? They can't resist it. It's something that would have to come from God. So it's something that's so strong that they would believe such a lie. Yeah. Unless. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unless they're allowed to believe it. Yeah. Right. And uh, verse 10 helps us understand verse 12. Yeah. And verse 10. They did not receive the love of the truth. What's right. the truth? The truth is Torah. Right. We see that same word, and we'll read verses 9 and 10 together. Oops, sorry. That word, no, it's all right. That word strong is also in verse 9. That word energeia is in verse 9. We'll, we'll talk about it in just a second. Okay. Going back, you know, to, it says that God gives them over to strong delusion. Uh -huh. Now, does that not have connotations that those who don't want to believe it, he empowers them not to believe it. Mm -hmm. But then those who choose to believe the delusion, he takes his protection away. It would imply, right? You know, because I don't think that he causes unrighteousness to us we choose it right you know so and, god allows but, it to happen when we, yeah when we with scripture says, resist the devil he'll flee from it because god protects us. so what if you don't right 
What if you, you know, don't? You don't, then, I mean, then, then you know, you're, you're the servant who you obey. Right. Think about the, um, think about the vision that Micaiah saw back in the book of Kings. He saw a vision of a false, a lying spirit and who, what did God say to that lying spirit? Right. You're going to go out in the, in the mouths of all these false prophets. But what did, God, what did that false spirit have to do first? God had to allow it mm-hmm. to go into the mouths of the false prophets. All right? So how many true prophets were there at that time? There was one, and he was thrown into prison. Right? right? And how many false prophets were there at that time? Bunches, bunches and bunches of bunches. So what were the people choosing to believe? the mouth of those false prophets because there was a lying spirit in the voice in the mouths of those false prophets so did god make the people choose it no no but no, he allowed he gives them over to that because they make that choice yes ma'am would it be the same would it be the same as pharaoh where god strengthened his heart yeah pharaoh it doesn't, doesn't yeah pharaoh chose god was just giving him the strength to carry out what was already in his heart without succumbing to the fear. Because was Pharaoh just a nice guy who just happened by chance to be mean, be made mean by God? No. Pharaoh was already a rotten dude. So what did God give him the strength to do? Carry it out. Right. We were deluded yet, right? <laughs> not, because we're here. Yeah, we're here. Yeah, not quite. But you know So where's the line? I don't know. I mean it just I don't know. Right. When they take the mark, that's the line. That's the it's Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I he said when they take the mark, that's the line. But as far as like, you know, when your faith ends? Yeah. Well, as long as, as, long as there's breath in the body. Right. Right. All right. Let's go back to verse 9. 2 Thessalonians 2. It says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Where it says... The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. That word working is also the Greek word energeia. What is that number, please? Uh, 1753. So, when the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, that means what kind of, what kind of power, what kind of influence will this man have? It'll just be ungodly, you know. It'll be just. It'll seem like it's just superhuman. And it'll draw people, yeah, to, that are given to delusion. It will make it probably even stronger. Right. It'll be easier for them to to take that up. Right. And then, how will he be able to persuade people? What if you just read verse nine? It says, "With all power, signs, and lying wonders, such as what? What's a lying wonder? Calling call, call fire down from heaven." Verse 10, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be what? Saved. 
saved. What is the truth according to the Scriptures? Yes, John 14, 6, Messiah Himself says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but by Me. But what else is truth according to Scripture? Torah. Torah. He's Torah. So the love of truth is the love of Torah, the love of the statutes and commandments of God. If we choose to resist that, pretty easy to believe a lie, isn't it? The Torah is a path to believing it. That's it. You know, and we talked about that last night in Romans 10.4. You know, Romans 10.4 talks about Messiah's the goal of the law for the purpose of righteousness. You know, when we come to Messiah, we're able to keep God's commandments the way they were intended, not as a way of salvation, but as a way to prove our salvation is real, our faith is real. Faith without works is dead. Yep. All right, Matthew 18, 6. Matthew 18, 6. Verse 5 kind of gives us the context. Susie, I'll look at your question in just a minute. Give me just a second. Matthew 18, 5 and 6. It says, Whoever receives one little child like this one in my name receives me. Verse 6 says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. So in verse 6, where it says, who believes in me, that word is pastuo. But it says, whoever causes one who believes, one who has faith to sin, how, how, how does God view that? Does he view that as, that's okay? No. So if somebody causes, if one causes one who believes to sin, it says it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Because what happens when somebody who believes is taken away from their faith? That's two people who don't believe. The one who caused them to not believe and the one who lost their faith. So he's saying it's, it would be better if that person had a millstone hung around their neck and drowned in the depth of the sea. If the angels rejoice when someone is Right. Yeah, it would be heartbreaking, wouldn't it? What did she say? She said it. If the angels rejoice when someone is saved, I can't imagine how sad it must be for when they see someone fall. Okay, so Susie says, how do we reconcile the details if you have any thoughts to share? But we know that the professing modern-day church hasn't rejected him as they profess him as Savior, but they reject his instructions as fulfilled over, as fulfilled over, essentially rejecting him. So you're right. If they say they have him and they reject him, they reject the commandments, are they receiving him? 
the yeah. word is in his flesh. It's hard to wrap the, the mind around how to witness of these details. So, but we were there. I know, I know. Last night we read 1 John 4. Let's go back to 1 John 4. I think 1 John 4 will, will kind of help answer this. We read it last night, but I want to continue kind of reading on. 1 John 4 says, starting in verse 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And remember, we looked at that word test. It means to test for genuineness, to see if it's real whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So what if you have a, fault or a prophet, a so-called teacher of God, who stands up and says, I love the Lord with all my heart, but don't keep His commandments? God says He doesn't. God says He doesn't. Because what is the love of God? How do you prove to God that you love Him? You just read on in 1 John 5, it says, if you keep His commandments, that's how you show you love God. Verse 2 says, by this you know the Spirit of God. So here's the test. Here's how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Yeshua Messiah has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess, confess that Yeshua Messiah has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. All right. So, Susie, what if somebody says they're coming and they're professing that Yeshua is the Messiah, he come in the flesh, he's of God, but then they say, but he did away with God's commandments. What is that making Messiah? That's making him a liar because of Matthew 5. He said, not the smallest jot, not the smallest tittle of the Torah will be done away until all is fulfilled. So, if somebody says... Yeshua has come in the flesh, but he came away, he came to abolish the Torah. He came to do away with God's commandments. That's not the Messiah. That's not the Messiah. We're going to look at a scripture that proves that in just a minute. All right, 1 John 4 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, talking about the false teachers, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They, talking about the false teachers, are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. How popular is a message that says you don't have to do anything, just make a profession of faith and just keep doing what you're doing? How easy is that message? People eat it up like candy. But what if the message is you have to crucify your flesh, you have to put aside the things of this world and keep God's commandments and continue believing? That's a message people don't want to hear. So it says the world hears them because their message does what, according to Paul? It tickles the ear. Verse 6 says, we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth. What is truth? Torah and the spirit of error. That word error is the same word used in 2 Thessalonians 2 that was used as delusion. Plane. It's the same word. So we know when we test the spirits, we know the difference between a spirit that speaks the truth of God and one that speaks error, one that's trying to delude our thinking. 
Because once our thinking and our mind becomes diluted, what are we open and susceptible to? Any kind of false teaching that comes along. Strong delusion. Now, what if Yeshua came to abolish the law? Let's go back to Daniel chapter 7. Then he is fulfilling the role of somebody that he was not intended to be. Daniel 7.25 So if somebody, if a teacher says Yeshua has come He is the Son of God He's come in the flesh That seems to fulfill what John 1 John 4.2 says, right? Any spirit that confesses that Yeshua has come in the flesh is the Son of God Then you can believe that spirit but what if that teacher says, but he also did away with God's commandments? Run. Run. But here's why. Daniel 7.25. When we look at Daniel 7.25, this is a prophecy of the end times. It's talking about a fourth beast who will be, it'll be different than all of the others. Verse 24 says, The ten horns are the ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise from them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. We read about this fellow in 2 Thessalonians 2. What do we know him as? The Antichrist, the false Messiah, whatever you want to call it. Verse 25, here's a description. Here's what the false Messiah will do or try to do. Verse 25 says, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change what? Times and law. That word law, this is in Aramaic. It's the word dot, D-A-T-H. Strong's word, 1882. But that word dot can refer to the law of God. But it can also refer to man-made laws also. But in this case, what is it referring to? God's law. The word times in Aramaic, since we're reading an Aramaic portion of Daniel, is the word zaman, Z-E-M-A-N, 2166. But it can, according to Brown Drivers Briggs, Brown Driver Briggs, which is a Hebrew lexicon, can refer to the festival seasons. So when it says he is intending to change times and laws, is, is it talking about he wants to, to make the year longer and make, wants to make, make it legal to run stop signs now? No, that's not what he's talking about. God's appointed, time. God, God's appointed times that teach about the first and second coming of Messiah. Shall intend to change. And when we see in 2 Thessalonians that the spirit of Antichrist the spirit of lawlessness, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Is it any wonder why we see so many people within the church trying to say that these things are done away with? Because what does this all point back to? This is, a, this is what is known as the spirit of Antichrist. Because what is the essence of the Antichrist? What is he trying to do? Change God's laws. So people will not... Because... If God's people are not keeping His appointed times, if they're not keeping the feasts, if they're not keeping the festivals, if they're not keeping the Sabbath, what does that do for us? 1 Thessalonians 5 says we are caught off guard. We are in the they group and not the us group. Because what does the they group say? 
When they say peace and safety, then what happens? Sudden destruction comes upon them. Susie, I hope that answers your question. So would you say those preachers are teaching Yeshua the anti-Messiah? It's what it sounds like, isn't it? Because if, the anti, if, if Yeshua is the Messiah, he told us what he was going to do with God's law. He said, none of it will be done away with until... He said, not the smallest letter or piece of a letter will be done away with until all is fulfilled. And that's after the thousand-year millennial reign. And that's after the thousand-year millennial reign. Okay. So, we looked at what it means to believe. We looked at the basics of believing. We looked at how the works of Messiah cause us to believe. Those who believe will reach the goal. And what is the goal? Everlasting life. And what happens if you don't believe? Is that a place you want to be? No. You do not want to be in that place of not believing. I want to add another verse to Matthew 18.6 where we talked about those who cause others to sin. Look at Matthew 5.19. Look at Matthew 5.19. We just talked about this. We just talked about Messiah saying, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. How many times do you hear people say, yeah, it says that, I did not come to destroy but to destroy. That's essentially how they read it. But he says... Do not think that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Plurao, fully preach, fully teach, to correctly teach. For assuredly, verse 18, for assuredly I say to you, and remember we looked at assuredly, for assuredly means amen, amen, which means what? It's really, really, really true. And that means he was speaking what language? Hebrew. Hebrew. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. That does not sound like somebody who come to intend to change times and law, does it? If he did, he was a false prophet he was a, and a liar. He was a false prophet and a liar. And what did he say in John 10 that we read last night? If I do not do the works of my Father, what did he say? Do not believe Don't me. believe me. Yeah. Don't believe me. That was John 10, 38, I believe. Let me look real quick. Yeah. John 10, 37. John 10, 37 is what it was. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. Verse 19. Whoever therefore... So this goes back to what we were talking about with the millstone. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. What did the scribes and Pharisees base their righteousness on? Was it their faith and their faith led to them keeping the commandments of God, or was it their own righteousness? It's what we read last night in Romans 10. It was their own righteousness. How does God view that kind of righteousness? 
He said, if you, if you have that kind of righteousness, said you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. Because what did Messiah himself say about you go to and fro seeking those that you can convert and make proselytes and make them what? Twice. Twice the son of hell as you are. That's Matthew 23, 15. Matthew 23, 15, yep. Matthew 23, 15. Matthew 23, 15 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. What is a proselyte? It's a convert, a Gentile convert to Judaism. And when he is won, it doesn't say you've, you've won the prize, right? It says you've made him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Yes? Uh, if we go back to chapter 5. Okay. And beginning, uh, you know, taking up, continuing on beyond verse 20. Yep. Where, you know, I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, right. you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. It starts talking about murder. Right. So, if you're not teaching the truth, yeah, what are you doing? You're murdering the soul. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And and it and 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 it you know right, so the heading of this on, on mine says the murder begins in the heart. Right. That's right. Right. You know. So it's like the tickling ears thing. You know, I don't want to believe the truth. I want to believe the lie. And I don't want anybody else to believe the truth either to yeah. support me. Right. You know. So what if you're preaching a false doctrine? I mean, how many thousands of souls have you murdered? Right, right. I mean, because what, what I'm saying. That's because when I'm you're saying. cast into the lake of fire, what is that referred to? It's referred to as the second death. Second death. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Sorry. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... He wanted to hit them hard right off the bat, didn't he? Yeah, and, yep. and, and I think verse 22 is also very pertinent, you know, because he said, but I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause mm -hmm. shall be in danger of the judgment. Right. And and, uh, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, or you fool, shall be in danger of the council. Because what does it mean to call somebody a I fool? Mean, Huh. What's it mean to call somebody a fool? The fool said, said in his heart, there's no God. Yeah, so you're basically calling him an unbeliever, right? Well, I, I, I misspoke there. Raka does not mean you fool. It, what does it mean? Let me find out real quick. Uh, pretty much what it means. Yeah, it pretty, yeah, it, Is yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Okay. It carries the same meaning. Yeah. Uh, so, but, I mean, I was reading that, and the Spirit was speaking to me. You know, go up, go that one step further about murder. You know, killing a innocent soul, right. so to speak. Right. Because until we, until we, because if we know the truth, Jesus said, you know, the truth sets you free. Right. Well, and then think about how it ties to what we just read in Matthew right. 18. If you cause one who believes. To sin, right? What what did the Lord Ooh, say? It's better for you to have a millstone. I struggle with that because yeah. way back time time ago, you know, I yeah. So it's it's like I struggle with that. It's a, I wish I could get hold of that fella again. <laughs> yeah, I know, but you know what? All we can do is learn from our mistakes and move forward. Ask forgiveness. Move forward. That's all we can do. You know. Just, and that and that's exactly why we look at the scriptures as we learn from those mistakes don't do them again that's the very definition of repentance 
turning from your sin and turning to God. Daniel, I think if you if you really want to have forgiveness from that other person, if you ask the Lord to bring them back into the, your life, He will do that. Mm-hmm. He did that for me. I I had right. offended somebody in college, and three years later I met her again. Right. Completely separate. I mean, miles and miles away from our home time. She was on vacation. Right. God can do it. Absolutely. God can give us. He wants us to have clear consciences. Right give you closure right yeah absolutely yep he can so i want to wrap up this teaching with just some words of encouragement and so the last topic i want us to look at is called reach the goal reach the reach the goal reach the goal let's look at philippians chapter 3 read verses 7 through 14 Yeah. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. Some encouraging words from Paul. Philippians 3, verse 7. It says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Messiah. So what things is he talking about? He said, I had all of these accolades... I was, he called himself a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was a Pharisee concerning the law. If anybody could have been saved by their righteousness and keeping the law, he said, I was blameless. But how well did that work out for him? What did he find on the road to Damascus? He said, Paul, why are you kicking against the goads? Verse 8, it says, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Messiah Yeshua, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Messiah and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Messiah, the righteousness which is from God by faith. What does that faith from God allow us to keep? It allows us to keep the Torah the correct way. Not as a means of salvation. Wouldn't he say in here that what things were gained to me, like he had the admiration of scribes and Pharisees. Right. He was given authority and power to do what they wanted in the Right. He also uh, had social standing. Right. Apparently, if he studied under Gamaliel, he probably had to pay some tuition. I, I don't know, yeah. but I would think that he would have wealth oh, yeah. of, some, of some, you know, and in order to have that approval, right. walk in those circles. Yeah, and what but did he it... He gave it all up. He counted all that as, right. as nothing. Yeah, what is that compared to eternity? Right. What's that? I mean, what is that? And he, it's nothing, and he know, he knew that. Verse 10, oh, in verse 9, that word faith is pistis. Verse 10, it says that I may know him and the power. So here's why I, this is what Paul is saying. Here's why I have faith. That I may know him. And what does that mean to know him? To have everlasting life, according to John. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If, take note of that word if. 
Don't you wish Paul would not use words like that? <laughs> if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He's saying, if I don't continue in my faith, am I going to make it to the resurrection of the dead? He said, if by any means I may come or attain to the resurrection of the dead. That word if, what part of speech do you believe that is? That is a conditional conjunction. It's a conditional conjunction. So what if Paul had stopped believing? What if he had given up his faith and went back to the things that gave him earthly wealth? Would he have attained to the resurrection? No. no. Verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Messiah Yeshua has also laid hold of me. In verse 12, do you see the word that? But I press on that I may lay hold of that. Change that to if. Because it's a conditional conjunction, if. He said, I press on if I may lay hold of that for which Messiah Yeshua has also laid hold of me. So what, what's the condition? What if Paul continues pressing on? He attains to the resurrection. What if Paul gives up? Is he going to lay hold of that which Messiah has, has for him? No. Verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do... Forgetting, that's a present participle, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching, that's a present participle, forward to those things which are ahead. So as we go through this life, how often should we forget the things which are behind us? Constantly, all the time. Don't look back. But what do we do? We press forward to those things which are ahead. Verse 14 says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Messiah Yeshua. What is that goal that we talked about just a few moments ago? Everlasting life. Coming to the resurrection. Those are some pretty encouraging words, aren't they? Now let's go read some depressing words. Go to First, pa first Peter. Yes. Don't miss verse 17. Okay. Verse 17, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Doesn't that sound like what he said in 1 Corinthians 11.1? 1? He said, you know, imitate, imitate me as I imitate Messiah. So he's saying the walk that I walk, use it as a pattern. So was the walk of Paul one of lawlessness and breaking God's commandments and teaching others to no. do so? No. It's also 1 John 2.6. That's 1 John 2.6. Let's just look at 1 John 2.6 before we go to 1 Peter. 1 John 2.6. So we heard it from Paul. Let's hear it from John. First John 2.6. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Talking about Messiah. So if we say that Messiah was a lawbreaker, a commandment breaker, what are we making Messiah? 
we're making him a liar and a blasphemer. And a blasphemer. All right, let's do one more. Yeah, verse 7. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Right. But an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have from the beginning. So are any of these commandments that we're hearing brand new commandments? No, they're not brand new commandments. Let's go to 1 Peter. We are going to 1 Peter, but let's make a pit stop in 1 Peter 2.21. So we've heard from Paul about follow my example. And what was the example that Paul followed? The one of Messiah. We heard from John. John said, follow, my, follow his example. So follow the example of Messiah. Let's listen to what Peter says. You think Peter's going to say anything different? Peter's not going to say anything different. 1 Peter 2.21 For to this you were called because Messiah also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And then verse 22 says, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. So what kind of lifestyle are we to live? If we're to follow and imitate Messiah, what characterized Messiah's life? It says he committed no sin. What is sin according to 1 John 3, 4? Lawlessness, breaking God's commandments. All right, we're going to end with 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4. I don't want to say these are depressing words, but they're words of, that kind of keep you on your toes. 1 Peter 4, verse 17 through 19. 1 Peter 4.17 says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing what? Yeah. Doing good as to a faithful creator. So back in verse 17 where it says what will be the end, that word end is telos, the, the goal. So if judgment begins with us, what will be the goal of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Will it be welcome in my good and faithful servant? Or will it be the lake of fire? To those who do not obey, that word, that phrase, do not obey, that's present participle. So it's not talking about people who just every now and then don't li It's talking about people who continually do not obey the gospel of Messiah. And what is one of the, the tenets of the gospel? What's that, what is it that John and Messiah, what's the first word that would always come out of their mouth? Repent. Repent. So that's one of the first of the gospel is to repent. So if you're turning from your sin, what should you be turning to? You should be turning to God. So to wrap up the teaching, don't give up. Press toward the goal. Keep obeying. Keep your faith. Don't give up.